Good morning. My name is Russell Atkins. I'm filling in for Tim Jennings this morning. He and um, some of our uh, board members are up in Nashville this weekend at the AACC, American Association of Christian Counselors Convention. I believe it's the worldwide convention this year. So um, our ministry is a major sponsor of that event. Uh, we have a booth up there, and we're giving away um, – Lots of materials, and it's, it's always well-received when we're up there. We want to uh, <clears throat> wish them well. Also want to lift up uh, some members who have lost, uh, our, one particular member who's lost uh, her mother. Uh, Lindo Jala's mother passed away recently. I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, but it's it's been recent. So we, we want to remember um, her and our prayers and their family. Um, let's begin with prayer. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this ministry, both corporately and individually. I want to thank you for blessing this ministry way beyond uh, our original um, thoughts and comprehensions. I want to thank you for giving abundantly as you do, as, as you uh, revealed at the first miracle of the wedding, with the, turning the water into abundant wine. I want to thank you for this day and what it represents. I ask that you guide our study this morning. Uh, we lift up uh, the Ojala family, comfort them as only you can. Uh, may your will be done in their lives as, as well as ours. Please continue to bless our ministry uh, and uh, use it to hasten your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. We're studying lesson number two. <clears throat> Forgive the allergies. Maybe some sniffing and coughing. Lesson number two in uh, the, the uh, <clears throat> fourth quarter. Lesson is called The Controversy. The memory text from Sabbath lesson from First John, uh, excuse me, from John one seventeen. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. And at the risk of brain, being branded a heretic, um, <clears throat> any thoughts on this? Was uh, is John correct in that the law was given by Moses? It's called the Mosaic Law. So, was the law given by Moses? If if it wasn't given by Moses, then whom? Are we supposed to read Scripture in a concrete manner? Are we supposed to read it with a different, more open mindset? Is it possible that John himself? being a near-constant companion with a Savior for three-plus years, had uh, some tinges of an imperial law construct in his mind. Are these things possible? Scripture says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came from Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Assuming that God himself gave Moses the law, is there no grace and truth in the Mosaic Law? The script memory text says, law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Um, I, my, I guess my, my rhetorical question is, is the Apostle John, um, is he saying something different? Is he saying that there was no grace and truth in the Mosaic Law? The reason I'm bringing this up is that there are, there are a variety of Christian denominations that claim that um, 
nearly every aspect of the quote law was nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and its claims of the law are no longer binding on Christians today because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law and and paid the penalty for the broken law um and they use texts like this in, in support for that well yeah the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and <clears throat> When you when you hear things like that, it's diagnostic of a mindset that they they have bought into the idea that God's law functions no different than human laws. I'm playing devil's advocate here and and trying to stimulate some conversation. This is a common passage we we've heard many times in here, and I, it's it's worth remembering. If man had kept the law of God as given to Adam after his fall, and preserved by Noah and observed by Abraham, there would have been no need. No necessity for the ordinance of circumcision. And if the descendants of Abraham had kept the covenant of which circumcision was a sign, and a sign only, they would have never been seduced into idolatry, nor would have been necessary for them to suffer a life of bondage in Egypt. They would have kept God's law in mind, and there would have been no necessity for it to be proclaimed from Sinai or engraved on tablets of stone. Let that breathe a little bit. If man had kept God's law in mind, there would have been no necessity for it to be engraved on tablets of stone. Source? This is Patriarchs and Prophets 364. And if the people had practiced the principles of the Ten Commandments, the principles of the Ten Commandments, there would have been no need of the additional directions given to Moses. So obviously, this author states that the, the law did not come straight from Moses himself. It came came from a source other than Moses. I'm reading the remedy. The written rules, which were designed to protect us while we were still ignorant of God's methods and principles, which were there, were given through Moses. But the truth of God's gracious character and his methods for running the universe is revealed through Jesus Christ. So the, we, were, we were ignorant of that. that was, that's the figuring out part. We mm -hmm. recognize the principles and methods that were revealed through the law. Um, continuing on the thread that Eve started pulling, what was the state on the of the Israelites at the time, at the presentation of the Mosaic Law? What was their moral? What was their level of moral development? Any any guesses? Children. They were they were certainly children, but you know, think about our four, our seven stages of moral development. Below four. Four. Oh yeah, well below four. Um, may have been below one. I mean, think about it. That the children of Israel have been in slavery for as long as our nation has been a nation. 250 plus years. Think about the think about the type of mindset that would develop and descend generation after generation after generation being born into slavery. Where the only thing you had to look forward to was seven days of hard labor. And life was cheap. You saw friends and family and neighbors uh, be beaten to death because they wouldn't or couldn't do their work. You saw disputes erupt. You saw you saw even Moses himself kill an Egyptian for mistreating one of your buddies. Think about think about the mindset. <clears throat> what type? What type of people needed a, a literal written law on the books not to sleep with their own mother? Not to commit incest. Okay? 
Well, what type of a mindset literally needs that in writing? So they can look at it and say, oh, man, that's probably a bad idea. Okay, what type of mindset needs something on the books not to sleep with a horse? Okay, there's, in Levitical law, there's, there's something written about, you know, it's being an abomination. Okay, Th- this is a very dark mindset that the people, uh, the children of Israel came out of uh, Egypt with. And the the Mosaic Law was an obvious intervention needed for a specific people at a specific time. How many of us need a law on the books not to uh, have sex with our pets? Come on. Okay. Continuing along that same pathway, what was the mind, What was the state of moral development of the Jews at the time of uh, Christ appearing on Earth? Have they moved? Have they moved from a level one or sub level one? Have they moved a bit on the on the continuum? Yeah. Have they grown in their moral development? Yeah, I think it's fair to suggest they had. In fact, they were consummate law keepers. The law, the, the written law, the mosaic, the the expansion even of the mosaic law was their bread and butter. It was their their food and drink. Might they have needed a, de- a deeper revelation um, uh, of, uh, you know, continuing Karen's thought process of the same, quote, grace and truth that was present in the Mosaic Law to begin with? We, we need to understand that every, and I've got every in bold and capital letters, every word of the imposed or written law that came from God's mouth is a revelation of some aspect of his design law, his natural law, and therefore a revelation of some facet of his character of love and therefore character of life. For those of you with any doubts, let's see what the founder of our church has to say. From Matthew 4.4, Jesus answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Okay, this is in response to Satan's first temptation to turn stones into bread. Every word. Thoughts? Well, there are people that don't think that the Bible is every word of God because the truth got lost in the translation. I actually talked to people that said they don't believe the Bible as it's written now because the people that were translating it interpreted it according to what they thought it should be. Well, I would suggest that there's some truth in what they have to say. Oh, my, no. <laughs> I don't think of it like that. Why, why not? Then how do you know what to believe? It's true, not true. How do you know which words are from God and which aren't? The Holy Spirit. Hebrews tells us that we, just, we develop an ability to discern the right from the wrong through practice. But you don't really think that there is anything wrong written in the Bible. Wrong. Wrong's a big umbrella. It is. You know, when, Dave, when David talks about the joy of smashing his enemy's baby's heads on rocks, is that, does that mean that we should go, and then we take, a, take another proof text and it says, go and do ye likewise, is, um, you know, it, our, our interpretation of Scripture 
needs to be adult-like. It does not need to be childish. Our understanding of <clears throat> our understanding of God's ways, methods, and principles needs to be adult-like. Okay, how many texts do you currently read with a different mindset than you did when you were twenty-five, thirty? But that wasn't a rhetorical question. Do you read texts differently now? Yeah. Why? But, but why? Because I have a better understanding. Okay, good. And because I'm more mature in my faith now. But okay. back then and today, still, I feel that every word of the Bible is truth. It may not be something I want to hear, but I still believe it as truth. I don't believe it as false. Which version are you talking about? That's the King James Version. <laughs> wow. I mean, I've never thought of the Bible as false. Have you thought of the Bible as false? I think that there's words like inerrant and infallible. And I think that the Bible is infallible, but that there may be errors written by men and the hand of men and translated by men, but yet orchestrated by God through the Holy Spirit that preserves truth to a degree which, while I might not be able to point to a particular word and say that this word is absolutely what the writer meant, I know that he guided the minds of the people that wrote it, their experiences, and so on, and also in the translators. I believe God's hand was in that. So it's true enough. How's that? Well, then to me, when you said God inspired them to write these words, to me that is from God. I believe that is from God. What Tim says is it's not so much the words as the feeling. I think he said that once. I believe the principles involved are truth with a capital T. Um, there may there may be some historical inaccuracies that, that we don't know about. But that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that every word that's printed is truth. I'm saying the principle of all of the Bible is truth. Yeah. I would hate to think that some of the things we read in there aren't true just because the words are different than maybe God would have used. I believe that the Bible is true, that the words, the principles behind what I've written is true. Okay, I... I have no no issue with that at all. Yes, ma'am. It's, it's not word inspired. It's principle inspired. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Right. If somebody was to write it today, like Tim, it would be in more modern language. But the principle's there. But they would use the language of today. Well, even Tim, when he did his paraphrase of the uh, <clears throat> of the New Testament, the translators who who wrote the New Testament came out of Catholicism. And they were already indoctrinated and inculcated with a imperial imposed law construct. So you can actually find some imposed law language in all the New Testament and all the Old Testament, for that matter, because the Old Testament got translated by by some of these same people. That's why that's why you'll read you'll read text wildly differently. Uh, it, uh, when Karen read the the excerpt from the Remedy. It, very, it was vastly different from what uh, we read in our um, memory text here. And Tim's book the is, print- is not at all a Bible. That's right. It's a paraphrase. Yeah, let's be clear. That he read in words that might be obscure. Um, interestingly, you choose a KJV. I mean, we're talking, talk about an imposed environment to develop a, a translation. The King James, King James authorized. It had to be authorized by him. So there are points that in the KJV are horribly imposed language because they were written in that kind of a, that was the design of the version. Yeah, humanity was coming out of the dark ages. They were dark for a reason. Also, our language has changed. Sure. 
Absolutely. Words. The words have a different meaning now than they did at other time. Right. Camp Come Be Gay. Anybody remember that? Yeah. yeah. Georgia Cumberland's summer camp for kids. Come be gay. <laughs> They've changed it to Cohoda Springs. <laughs> yes, sir. This is a thought. Heaven was perfect. But all of a sudden, there was a line of deceit that started running through heaven. Garden of Eden, was it? it was perfect. But all of a sudden, there was a line of deceit started running through the Garden of Eden. So there's two things perfect. And we say that the Holy Scriptures is all perfect. And I'm saying the same thing that happened in heaven, happened in the Garden of Eden. There's a, there's a line of deceit that has been running through, quote, the Holy Scriptures. Uh, it's certainly possible. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's um, at least been inconceivable to think that Satan had, you know, his agents and his uh, efforts uh, were put forth to prevent Scripture from being translated and written in the first place, and to uh, inculcate some doubt or you know <clears throat> subtle error or whatever it is you know, I mean Satan Satan knows scripture forward and backwards he quoted it to our savior in the wilderness so I for <clears throat> back to your question about um, you know con, you know de talking with people who you know, profess a, a continuous disbelief about the um, authenticity and validity of scripture because it was translated by uh, sinful men for people who for people who uh, do not want to believe they will find any excuse not to believe and it's not, sometimes it's not our it's not our job to turn that ship around last time I taught in here I, I taught um, I, I, I said a phrase that uh, is, is really stuck with me sometimes irrefutable proof is coercive okay if if Christ had come down from the cross when the scoffers were were um, you know, harassing him to come down we'll believe he saved others let him save himself come down from the cross and we'll believe you're the Savior if he'd actually done that, if he'd said, all right, called his 12 legion of angels, shed his uh, human skin, and appeared with uh, the glory he'd been invested in before, before his incarnation, the people that weren't killed at the time and, and you know, destroyed by his glory, those would have believed out of, just out of fear. Oh, okay, we're, my, my bad. Sorry. You're right. Irrefutable proof uh, can be coercive. God doesn't provide irrefutable proof, and he will never provide irrefutable proof that Scripture is divinely inspired because it could be coercive. He provides evidence. He gives us a trail of evidence, and he leaves us free to make up our own minds, so to weigh out that evidence in, in an intelligent, rational manner and leaves us free to make the decision to accept the evidence or reject the evidence. It's the same thing he did with the intelligences in heaven. He didn't. He could have destroyed Satan, and the angels would. The remaining angels would have believed out of fear. Sam, I was going to say, as it is, a lot of people who are not Christian. Look at the Bible as being coercive. That's true. If you want to see a coercive God in the Old Testament, 
you can see one. If you want to see a bigoted God in the Old Testament, you can see one. If you want to see a misogynist God, you can see one. It, it, it depends on what your preconceived God construct is. You can find it. Yeah. That's why it's so important that we allow the transformation to happen in our lives so that people do get the right picture of what Scripture can do for us. Right, exactly. The revelation of a relationship with, with Jesus of Nazareth and, and what that does as far as transforming us from self-absorbed, narcissistic, uh, you know, self-preservation types to ones who would lay down their lives for a friend or even an enemy. And we can argue about Bible. Is it true? Is it not true? Whatever. But if they don't see the transformation in our lives, right. that's not going to matter. All right, well said. Drew? I think when you start putting all the different pieces together, you can always misread Scripture or take it however you want to take it. But when you start putting that with your experiences, with nature, with a willingness to always be open to grow. So many people I've talked to, they get so stuck in that this is how it's got to be. And if it's not this, then I don't know what to do. They're closed-minded. Unless you're open to let the Holy Spirit move in you and change at you and work with you and open to continue growth using your experience, science, nature, and the Bible all fitting together, then I think you're always going to be moving toward where God wants you to be. I may not be in the same place as you or you or anyone else, but I'm moving in the way that he's leading. Uh, well said. And, and thank you for bringing, uh, thank you for bringing in the uh, uh, <clears throat> integrated evidence-based approach that we have uh, attempted to adopt in here of using multiple threads of evidence, God-given threads of evidence of science, nature, scripture, and uh, our own experience to derive to differentiate what truth actually is. Was there a hand over here? I was just going to say that until um, the, the lie, they weren't afraid of God. They, they ran to him, but after the lie, they were afraid and they went and hid. Oh, you're talking about Adam and Eve? Right. Yes. Yeah, in the garden. This is, another, this is something else I've brought up in here multiple times. Um, <clears throat> think about... Think about being an angel in heaven, where everything you've heard coming out of every mouth in heaven was truth. There's no such thing as a lie. And one day you hear a lie. It comes out of Lucifer's mouth. How do you know? How do you differentiate? How do you, how do you understand um, truth and, and fiction? Okay, we, we, I don't think it's any wonder that a third of the angels fell. I'm surprised it wasn't more. I mean, they had no, no foundation, no basis. We, we grow up almost intuitively from birth knowing what a lie is. You know, we understand there's, there's truth and there's not truth. Angel, the angels in heaven had no, no grounding. Except... They lived in the presence of God. So they knew what kind of God he was. They knew that he was a loving, just, merciful God. 
So to me, since they had never seen that side of God being deceitful, conniving, whatever, how could they believe something from another angel that they had never seen in the character of God? That's the part I have a hard time believing. And that's what we talk about. We talk about how you don't counterfeit people, don't study all the counterfeits. They study the real thing. And so you, the more you delve and you know, absorb the real thing, you're, you're very, it's easy to say, well, obviously that's not true. And it would seem to me that angels hearing something would go, yeah, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound like the God I know. I, I, I'm not to say that we shouldn't have grace for the third that fell. But it seems to me like that's what we teach ourselves, we teach our kids and stuff, is to study the truth, because you can get so stuck trying to f- figure out why things are wrong, you just study the truth. You'll know it. Amen. Wendell? I think that the, paint, the picture that Lucifer painted of God was an angry, wrathful God. It was a, you know, questionable, what do you think about this? You know, I mean, he, uh, just like he lures us into sin so subtly, would have been the same way he did it with the uh, angels, and he had such a different, um, you know, atmosphere there. He he had an atmosphere that they didn't know what deceit was. See, God, God, God tells the angels, Satan is Satan's not telling you the truth. Lucifer tells angels, God's not telling you the truth. Now what? Well, I'm, I I I still feel that knowing. His character, living there with him, knowing what he's like for thousands of years, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have believed Satan. They said, "Well, we've never seen the side of God you're talking about, though. We've never seen him act this way." I don't know. It's been hard for me to understand how thirty of the angels could have fallen. Wendell, I would hate to characterize the falling of angels with simple language, with intellects that are equal to mine. That's right. Okay. So there are certain aspects of the fall, resurrection, and redemption that are well beyond my comprehension. Amen. I agree. Having said that, God has given me more than ample evidence of who he is and what he's like. In the scripture, both Old Testament, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Isaiah, Christ, and then Revelation, John, it talks about ears in the King James mm-hmm. the versions, use other terms. He that has ears, if we're not willing to listen, or if we have been so poisoned that we cannot hear, if I, our ears are so damaged that we cannot hear, then we may not be able to hear what Christ is saying, mm-hmm. whether it's through Moses or Christ himself. Well said. We need to move on here. Sunday's lesson, uh, entitled A Better Covenant, uh, Hebrews 8, 6. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received, has received, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. That's a mouthful. From the lesson, perhaps the greatest difference between the religion of the Old Testament and that of the New is the fact that the New Testament era was introduced by the coming of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. He was sent by God to be the Savior. People could not ignore him and expect to be saved. Only through the atonement he provided could their sins be forgiven. Only by the imputation of his perfect life could they stand before God without condemnation. In other words, salvation was through the righteousness of Jesus and nothing else.
All right. <clears throat> Anyone want to dissect that paragraph? Because there's truth in there and there's error in it. I have a big question mark beside that paragraph because it depends upon how you read it. Yes. You know, what your mindset is and what your paradigm is. Correct. I believe that Christ is all that we need and all that has ever been necessary. Correct. On the same token, it depends upon your description of what the problem is. Mm -hmm. Could our sins be forgiven only through his atonement? Yes. I think God God forgave. Period. Yes. Through 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 Christ's uh, atonement is the only way that we can we can live that forgiveness and and have the uh, re, uh, the relationship restored. Right. But forgiveness comes from God because God's. And if you see Christ as being different than God, mm -hmm. then there's a problem there. Yep. Eve. It depends on also, also on how you see forgiveness. Yeah. Um, because if you're thinking of behavioral um, stuff, then forgiveness is just, is, is that legal payment, right? But if you think of forgiveness as what God originally intended, salvation, the word healing, so-so, mm -hmm. that, that original Hebrew word all the way through is healing. Jesus forgave everyone around him at the cross, but that doesn't mean they were all healed. Correct. So forgiveness was given to man long before Christ died for us. But the healing could not fully happen without what he procured for us. Well said. Any other thoughts? Yes. Likewise, we have been forgiven. Okay, but that healing doesn't happen in our hearts until we go through the act of asking God to come in and forgive us and heal us. The re restoration of the relationship, if, if, there's, if one party's been aggrieved, restoration of the relationship requires two things, right? It requires repentance on the aggriever and it requires forgiveness on the aggrieved. Okay, then the relationship can be restored. If if one party doesn't forgive, or if the other party doesn't repent, then the relationship cannot be restored. But forgiveness is, for me, okay. The only way I can be restored is if I forgive, even if they don't reciprocate. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, if if someone has wronged us, uh, we can harbor a grudge which only damages us, or we can forgive them. And if they don't repent, then that's their, their problem. But the relationship can't be restored. When we're talking in terms of cosmic reality, however, if the relationship's not restored, then what's the end result? And that's what sin? The wages of sin, correct. Death, eternal death. So if we want a relationship restored... We have to repent. God's gonna. God forgives. Period. God is forgiving. He doesn't need. He doesn't need uh, his son. He doesn't need a bunch of angels. He doesn't need the saints pleading with him to be forgiving. He is forgiving. Period. Well, that's what my point was. Christ 
God, Jesus, and God, and the Holy Spirit, they're all as one. They're, they all have the same purpose. Right. So they, of course, I, God would forgive, regardless. I mean, they, they all have the same purpose in life. They're, they, they have the three are as one in their, in their thought and character and stuff. So God, Jesus, they're all forgiving. Forgive, forgiveness is more about a person who is forgiving. Correct. Right. And, in human terms, absolutely. And yeah. trust is more about the object in which you trust. Hey, Russell. The problem I have with that paragraph is that the last part of the paragraph gives an indication that the only way God could forgive us was that Jesus could come down here and identify with us and then go back to him and plead our case. Right. And I have a problem with that. Right. Okay. You know, only by his, the imputation of his perfect life could they stand before God without condemnation. Okay? Adam and Eve sinned, and what, what condemned them? Did God condemn them? They condemned them. Okay, this, yeah, this leads us to believe that God's the one with the, you know, providing the condemnation. Okay, they were self-condemned. Their condition condemned them. Adam and Eve ran and hid because they were afraid. In reality, forgiveness was shown there as well. Because- yeah. Immediate death would have been the result if we had mindset that this paragraph provides. But but they gave he gave them forgiveness in the sense of saying, "I will find another way. I will I will do what I can to uh, to reveal to solve this whole broken relationship." How uh, how is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Anybody, whoever has a Bible, look up Hebrews eight nine. What's the problem with the old one? Or was there anything wrong with the old one? For the purposes of this discussion, are you going to describe what you understand the, first, the old and the new covenant to be? All right, let's do that. <clears throat> when was the old covenant given? The Old Testament. Specifically. Sinai. Text. Okay. Abraham was given a covenant. That's the new covenant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well said. In, in time, that that was that was that was pre old covenant. But in in terms of relationship, that one that one uh, looks more like the new covenant. Is that where you're going with that, Wendell? The new covenant was that he was going to put his heart in mind inside of us, which happened for Abraham. Right. And that's why he was counted as righteous, because he was righteous. Right. That is the new covenant. Yes. The old covenant was what God gave at Sinai for a people who were so damaged. Right. They couldn't participate yeah. in the new covenant. Exactly. And it took them about three weeks to break the old covenant. Okay. Remember, the, the problem with the old covenant was that when you have a covenant between two parties... It requires that both parties keep the covenant. Think a marriage contract. Okay? And currently in America, when you sign a marriage contract, one party can break that contract unilaterally with with no no, uh, penalties or damage whatsoever to that party. Same thing happened at Sinai. The, uh, The people said... All the Lord has said, we will do. We accept your covenant. We ratify it. And three weeks later, they were having an orgy around a golden calf. One party broke the covenant. 
that was the problem with the old covenant. There's nothing wrong with the covenant from God's uh, bargain, from God's point of view, from his side of the contract. It was perfect. The covenant was perfect. It was broken by the children of Israel. So, so God said, okay, I'll write my law on their hearts and minds, a new covenant. And don't tell me that he didn't do the old covenant that, that specific way on purpose. He did it that way because he knew that words carved on stone could only, could only do so much. His, his design law had to be written on the hearts and minds of humanity for it to actually change people. And that was part of a demonstration to the universe Yes. of, of Satan's claim. Satan's claim was is that you know, there is a better way, there's a better law. Why, let's free up from this law. And then, so in Sinai, he gives them a law and says, here it is, try to obey this law. Anything outside of that natural love relationship with God will fail. And that's what he demonstrated on both. And there was nothing wrong with the old covenant. No. Nothing whatsoever. You know, the, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, they're a great distillation, a transcript of God's character. They're a great distillation of his, his law. They're by no, no means uh, a, a, uh, its entirety. How can, you, how, can you, how can you confine God's design law on two pieces of rock? Eve? We have to remember that what we think of as a covenant now and what they thought of as a covenant then is different and vastly different. Correct. We think of legal contracts where, in fact, if one person breaks it, it's broken. Covenants held even if one person broke it. So, you know, say I make a, a, a contract that I'm going to sell you a car for a dollar. And... You know, <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. For a time. But I, you know, I decide, you know, I'm not going to do it, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's based on you doing something else first, right? You don't do it. I'm not going to give you the card. That's a contract. A covenant says, if I say I'm going to give you a car for a dollar, you know, and you say you're going to do whatever it is, and you don't do it, I still give you the car for a dollar. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's, it is never broken from the side of the person making the covenant. So God's covenant, old or new, was the same. Right. It was the people who couldn't do it. And that didn't make God break the covenant. Correct. God is God. So I just, you know, sometimes we, we use that legal language still, and we don't understand that contracts and covenants are vastly different. Thank you for bringing that up. Any other thoughts? Um, okay. I, you asked about Hebrews. Oh, yeah, Hebrews 8 9. It will not be like the covenant that I made with your ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. So they were not faithful to the covenant I made with them, and so I paid no attention to them. Okay, here's God diagnosing the problem. The children of Israel were not faithful to the covenant, which is why... The original covenant had no barrier. It didn't work on them. There was no problem with the covenant from God's perspective. It was done, it was done correctly. It was done right. It was done perfectly. This is also from... I'm sorry. Go ahead. The beginning of, of verse 8 is often not read with the discussion of the first and second covenant descriptions in 9 and 10. Go ahead. 
In the first statement of verse 8 is, but God finds fault with his people. And it goes on and talks about the two covenants. Okay, He didn't find fault with his covenants. He found fault with the people. Right. The problem was, the problem has always been with humanity. It's Adam and Eve. God, not, not, God didn't get changed. God's law didn't get changed. Humanity got changed when they distrusted God. When they believed the lie, distrusted God, ate the fruit. Also from the lesson, quote, Meanwhile, the moral requirements remain unchanged in the New Testament because they were founded in the character of God and of Christ. Obedience to God's moral law is just as much a part of the New Covenant as is the Old Covenant, excuse me, as is of the Old Testament. Why? Because God didn't change. Thank you. It's because that's how life is designed to operate. That's why. Monday's lesson, the lesson does an admirable job of kind of distilling the various groups of Jewish laws and regulations into five broad categories. I'm going to briefly go over them. Number one, the moral law. Number two, the ceremonial law. Number three, civil law. Number four, statutes and judgments. And number five, health laws. Which law lens are we looking through when we read Leviticus and we, we um, go back and see some of these statutes and, and criteria and observations and, and mandates from heaven? Okay? <clears throat> and bear in mind that I don't have all the answers to this. I don't, I don't understand which, which facet of God's character it reveals in order for him to ask the children of Israel not to wear a cotton and linen at the same time. That's a, that's a statute in Leviticus. There is a scientific reason for that. For not wearing cotton and linen? Yes. When you mix two natural fibers, mm-hmm. it actually draws energy out of the body. I'd be curious to ha- have your source on that. You can get it to me later. There's other things that we that I don't understand. Yeah. The purification differences between male and female children. Right. Does not make sense to me. But maybe there is some difference or whatever. But you know, that doesn't mean that I don't understand that God was behind this and trying to lead his children closer to him. Correct. In fact, if you if you read Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy Many, many times prefacing a certain, uh, a certain, um, uh, you know, a certain portion of the Mosaic law, they'll say, I am the Lord, you know, this, 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 and this, because you are a special people. I am the Lord. Do this, 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 and this. Okay. It's obvious that there's some, some part of God's character that is needed, that was needed to be revealed to the children of Israel at the same time. I mean, I'm wearing a cotton shirt and a wool suit. That's why, that's why. I'm, fe- I'm feeling kind of sleepy right now. <laughs> <laughs> and leather shoes. Good grief. But, you know, I th- when I read the Levitical laws and stuff like that, I think of it as their culture back then we would never understand today. It was so totally different. Well, that's that's and, also true. Yeah, well, a lot of this, I feel like, was made not just because they had been slaves for 400 years, but because the culture they lived in was so different that it, more, it accommodated the way of life more than we think of today. I mean, it had to be. Like you said, who would think of any problem with mixing fibers? Don't know. The 
So why do we think that he gave them these guidelines, rules or regulations, guidelines? Why, why in his infinite wisdom would he give something like this to people? Obviously, knew more than we do. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's well said, Scott. So I've heard an explanation on that fiber thing that had to do with the fact that you know the fibers of strength at different, you know, they behave differently to things in the environment. And so if you wove the two together, it, it would whatever you were trying to make wasn't going to work out because of these different qualities of the different materials. Uh, so just for like the longevity of the, gar of the garment in a, in a harsh environment in the desert or something? So maybe the lesson was, you know, about being unequally yoked or whatever. And so it, it, Fascinating. Uh, I, I've never heard that. Some, some legitimacy to it just for a practical purpose, but it also had that lesson about being unequally yoked. Hey, excellent. Interesting. Wendell. We go back to the question that was um, given as far as, you know, the disciples had if, if divorce is this bad, then why did they give divorce? Then why did he give us the laws of divorce, etc.? It was so much worse under the what their previous that that he was bringing them to a point yeah. that was better than protect. When someone can kill someone because their cow gets an eye knocked out, exactly, or something like that, to say no, you can only do a tooth for a tooth. You can't do more than that. You can't. Yeah, and that and, and to get our minds around the idea that that's a step out of darkness. How many times do you hear today? All you have to do is go uh, on some news website, and people want to revert back to the eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth, and life for a life. If, if you look what happens currently in downtown Chattanooga with gangs, yeah, and with all the shootings that are happening over trivial things, mm -hmm. for him to come in and say no, you can't do that would be a blessing. Yeah. If that would be understood and realized as a better thing. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're taking a life for disrespect. Just really. because we are not to where God wants us to be, you know, we have to understand that this is a step in the right direction. With the 10 that we talked about, someone going into a cave and coming out of a cave. Yeah. Last week, yeah. If, mm -hmm. if they met, they would be having the same amount of light. But if you're going into the cave, You'll be going in the wrong direction, even as someone else who was going to that same point was coming out of the cave. And that's a great illustration because we do not need to go back to the terrible ways of times past mm -hmm. to learn of God's grace. Amen. So could we not say that imposed laws are really based on universal principles? God's imposed laws were, yes, absolutely. They're based on some facet of his design law. All of those little Correct. rules and regulations and to, still based on his big picture of universal understanding. And to the extent that any earthly government imposes law, if it's based on a heavenly design law principle, then that law is a good law. Okay? Earthly governments don't always impose laws. Uh to accurately reflect design law. Okay, take take speed limits for example. These these should be an outgrowth of Newtonian laws of momentum. Okay, an object 
in motion stays in motion unless acted on by net external force. For every action, there's an equal and opposite rea uh, reaction. Second and third laws of Newtonian motion. So that, and it should be based on the laws of physics, of friction coefficient of rubber on asphalt, friction coefficient of asbestos brake pads on steel rotors. But to the extent that they have become just revenue-producing um, <clears throat> means for a, a government, a, a city, a, a state, or whatever, then they're not an accurate reflection of the Newtonian laws of motion. So are you saying then our speed limits are out there because the government, um, the state just wants to collect money from us? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Or is it because, or is it because they are truly trying to help us be safe? Uh, I think it's the money. <laughs> I do. As, as I approached the stop sign this morning, I thought of that very same thing because it had no sense for me to stop that stop sign. Seriously. Yeah. You, you could see within a quarter mile in any direction. So why would anyone, if this was totally clear, why should I need to stop other than that there's cops sitting there? Yeah, but if you hadn't stopped, you probably wouldn't look both ways. Oh, sure I would. <laughs> Because of, because of his understanding of the Newtonian laws of motion. Well, that means that I'm a driver, not a passenger in the vehicle. But a true driver of the vehicle would be looking in all directions and making sure they were safe. But maybe you're on your phone. You would right. want her to stop and get into the practice of stopping because you know she might be on the phone, she might be doing something else. She's not an experienced driver. So she doesn't scope like you do. But so at 16, it was important for her to stop whether or not there was a cop there. And there should stop signs be for those who are really <laughs> driving. At the risk of getting sidetracked into a... The, yeah, it is. It is question. No question. ...of things, even though I might not have... that. I, I'm not a diabetic. But I still observe principles of glucose intake because I just know that my system isn't perfect. It's not going to last forever. I, too, may develop diabetes, so I obey the principles. Even though I can get away with it without maybe gaining weight or without rotting my teeth in my lifetime, I still obey the principles because they're decent. They're not going to hurt me to obey a little more than I might have to. So stopping at the light or... Observing amount of sugar intake is, is reasonable. Well, okay, back to the traffic law. There's, if, if, since I opened up this can of worms, there's, there's another aspect uh, of how these traffic laws are developed, I think. It's not, it's not entirely um, uh, revenue-producing. But uh, if you look at speed limits, they are, they are typically made for the, the worst drivers on the road. Not the best ones. Outliers. Yeah, they're 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 made for the the clown that wants to do ninety in a school zone, or the the sixteen year old girl who's putting on eye makeup, texting or updating her Facebook status, and driving with her knees through a school zone. <laughs> so traffic laws are not made for the person who maintains their car's brakes and suspension, and who does not drive distracted or drunk. The traffic code is inconsequential for that driver. Okay? And and we can make a we can I think we can make an accurate um parallel to some of God's law as well. In fact, in scripture it says the law is not made for the righteous. The law is made for the wicked. You know, the righteous they have no need of a a codified set of of um 
of commandments carved in stone. They do by nature the things that are involved in the law, and therefore a law unto themselves. This is what Paul said in Romans uh, regarding the, the Gentiles. So if I'm a righteous driver and I'm really paying attention, and I'm going down the road at 90, 80, 90, and I'm really paying attention, I really don't need to worry about those laws, right? The law of the speed limit, the law of 70 miles, 65 miles an hour on the freeway out here from Ultawa to, to downtown, doesn't suspend the laws of, of physics. Okay, so if some driver pulls out in front of you and you're doing 90, it's going to take you longer to come to a stop. Or it's going to take you longer to uh, avoid the driver that pulls in front of you. That's simple physics. That has nothing to do with the chance of whether or not you may get a, a ticket. Did I answer your question? Or did I bring up more questions? I was just Okay. <laughs> Um, anyway, back to Tuesday's lesson. Um, the Some of the issues with the Galatians that Paul addressed, and we went through this in a quarterly last uh, quarter, and continuing in, which in the kind of the lesson suggests inspired him to write the letter of the Romans, was the, the law of circumcision. This is, the law, this is one of the things that the, the Judaizers in the Galatian uh, audiences, uh, they, they came in and they got people worked up. Said, oh, no, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, and, and this, that, and the other. And the, Gala- and the Galatians said, uh, no, we'd rather not. And who can blame them? The lesson suggests that the custom of Moses was circumcision. There are any gears turning about uh, Moses and, and, and circumcision. From Exodus 4, 20 through, 24 through 26, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was, and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord left him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. Okay, This is when Moses and his wife and child were traveling from Midian back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. This is Ellen White's take on the story. On the way from Midian, Moses received a startling and terrible warning of the Lord's displeasure. The angel appeared to him in a threatening manner as if he would immediately destroy him. No explanation was given, but Moses remembered that he had disregarded one of God's requirements, yielding to the persuasion of his wife. He had neglected to perform the rite of circumcision on the youngest son. He had failed to comply with a condition by which the child could be entitled to the blessings of God's covenant with Israel. And such a neglect on the part of their chosen leader would not but lessen the force of design precepts on the people. Zipporah, fearing that her husband would be slain, performed the rite herself, and the angel then permitted Moses to pursue his journey. In his mission to Pharaoh, Moses was to be placed in a position of great peril. His life could be preserved only through the protection of holy angels. But while living in neglect of a known duty, he would not be secure, for he could not be shielded by the angels of God. I find this story fascinating, and I also find it fascinating that the, that the, the lesson in the Judaizers, you know, saying, no, no, you need to do what, what Moses did regarding circumcision. And yet, what did Moses do regarding circumcision? He neglected it at the persuasion of his wife. Thoughts? I figured we'd close the circumcision, just for you, Tina. <laughs> Appreciate that. What it says to me when I was studying it is that that's the exacting God that we have. And he's the same today. If it was important enough back then, 
him, Moses, to have to stop, circumcise his child. I mean, so many people today put, put things that they say that aren't important to God today anymore. It, it doesn't matter anymore. But it does. God has never changed. He's the same God. Yeah, but what was exacting about circumcision? In the, in the passage we read earlier from the same reference, said that if man had kept the law of God in their minds, there would have been no need for the covenant of which circumcision was a uh, symbol. I think you misunderstand it and look at it as a legal requirement. Right. And how he was the CEO of the Israelites and what he demonstrated, <clears throat> what he did in his life, they would emulate. Correct. If they found out that his son was not circumcised and, and, and he didn't pay any attention to this covenant relationship, well, why should we? And it wasn't because God's exacting that he requires this. He's like, no, this is a safeguard. I'm trying to get you guys down this path. So do these things, and it will save you a lot of grief. And it wasn't that he was exacting in any way. That's a misrepresentation, I think, of God. He wasn't exacting. He was trying to set a role model in place here. Well said. We need to close on that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the insights you've given us, and thank you for, thank you for this group. Uh, we ask continued blessings on the group, uh, blessings on the folks in Nashville, bring them home safely to us, uh, and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.